Well, would you turn in your Bibles with me to the table of contents? I've been waiting a month to use that. And look up in your Bible where the book of Obadiah is. Obadiah. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. So land somewhere in there. You'll find the book of Obadiah. And you'll find these 21 verses here. That's where we will be today. Obadiah will begin reading in verse 1. And if you're able to, continue standing as we read uh, this short prophetic book here in the Old Testament. Obadiah chapter 1 verse 1. God's word says, The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us arise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If, if grape gathers, gatherers come to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your enemies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom, and an understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Timon, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by the slaughter. Verse 10, because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that the Lord stood aloof, on the day, on the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, You were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah and the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in the Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau in the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let us pray. Holy Father, we come before you now 
And Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word that you have blessed us with that reminds us of how we are not to be arrogant, how we are not to be prideful, but how we are to humble ourselves before you. So Lord God, I ask now that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs 24, verses 17 and 18 say, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. The book, this little tiny book of Obadiah uh, about the nation of Edom is a living illustration of this proverb. Here you have the nation of Edom rejoicing over the destruction that's taking place in the land of Judah. This tiny book of Obadiah, it's a, it's a prophetic book. It's one of the minor prophets, one of the 12 minor prophets included in the Old Testament. And all throughout these small books is this theme, the constant theme of judgment. There's this constant theme of judgment is coming. And along with that theme of judgment is coming, there's a call to repentance. You really can't read any of these Old Testament prophetic books without seeing those two themes. The theme of judgment coming upon sin, and at the same time a call to repent and to turn to the Lord and trust in Him. So Obadiah is one of the minor prophets. Now, they're not called minor prophets because they're less significant. No, they're minor in the sense that they're a lot shorter than, say, Isaiah or Jeremiah. And these books are constantly warning of judgment. They're warning of the vanity of seeking after the, the pleasures, the things of this world. But the people continued in sin. They did not repent, and ultimately judgment will come. And that's the message of Obadiah. A warning that God remembers sin. He remembers unrepentant sin. And that there is a day coming when He will judge the world. But there's also, all throughout these prophetic books, this, this hope. Uh, that there is hope for those who would repent. For those who would turn from their sin and, and trust in the one true God. So we see in this book of Obadiah that there is that, that, that even as God is judging sin, He is making a way for the deliverance of His people. God remembers unrepentant sin. However, for those who turn from their sin and turn ultimately to Christ and trust in God for their deliverance, God provides a way for us to not have our sins held against us, ultimately through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as we look, to, look at this book, the book of Obadiah, we see in verses 1 through 9 that there is judgment coming upon arrogance. In, in verses 1 through 9, we see that God humbles the arrogant. Obadiah is delivering this message during an incredibly dark time in the history of Israel and Judah. This is likely happening after the Babylonian exile. Jerusalem, the, the, their, their special city, their holy city, was in ruins. There's only a handful of people who are there in the city. But the Edomites felt no remorse over the fall of Judah. The nation of Edom, 
they're ultimately the descendants of Esau, uh, Israel's, uh, uh, sorry, Jacob's brother, Isaac's son, Jacob's brother back in Genesis. You can read about their relationship in Genesis. Was it a pretty good relationship, a healthy family? Uh, was it one that you would want to sit around at the holidays with? <laughs> Probably not, right? Edom was from Esau's descendants. Edom today is located in present day, think of Jordan. It's located in present day Jordan. And so the Edomites, these descendants of Esau, when they looked down from the mountains where they had their strongholds, and they looked down upon Judah, they rejoiced when they saw the Babylonians come in and destroy Judah. You you see that in in verse 3. He says, The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling... Who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? In other words, they're, they're, they're looking down from their mountain strongholds. They're seeing the destruction fall upon the nation of Judah, upon Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, and they're rejoicing at Judah's downfall. So at the time of Obadiah's writing, his prophetic, vision, his prophetic writing here, the kingdoms of both Israel and Judah, they're, they're lost. The northern kingdom of Israel has been sent into captivity into captivity by the Assyrians in 722. Now the southern kingdom of Judah has been destroyed by Babylon, where the best and the brightest of Judah had been led away in three different exiles, in 605 B.C., 597 B.C., and ultimately in 586 B.C. All of this helps us understand that only those, uh, those who were left in the nation of Judah, the land of Judah at this time, were those who were only considered too poor or of no value to the Babylonians. There was only those people who remained. And so Edom is rejoicing at their destruction. And so Edom and Israel's relationship was not good by any means. Although it seems like Esau and Jacob may have reconciled at one point. Ultimately, Jacob, what did he do? He stole Esau's birthright, right, in Genesis So Esau's bitterness and hatred seems to have been passed down from the generation to generation. And we see that hatred continuing here even hundreds and hundreds of years after Jacob and Esau. When you get to the two nations, the nation of Israel, the nation of Edom, uh, they also did not have a good relationship. In Numbers 20, after the Exodus event, as Israel was wandering in the wilderness, they asked Edom if they could pass through their country safely, but Edom refused to allow Israel safe passage elsewhere. Edom would be conquered by King David in 2 Samuel 8. And then after King David and his sons who would reign, Edom rebels against them. So their relationship was not good by any means. And so they're rejoicing. They're enemies. Here are their enemies. As they're looking down from the hills where they live, and the, they thought that they were safe. Edom thinking, is thinking they were safe as they're rejoicing at Judah's downfall, as they're rejoicing at, at, at Judah's destruction. They looked on their destruction in joy and also with arrogant pride. They thought they were safe there in the mountains. They rejoiced at the downfall of their enemies. Have you ever done that? Certainly you haven't. Rejoicing at the downfall of those who are your enemies, those who don't like you. I risk making this light. 
but I rejoice sometimes when the Dodgers lose. <laughs> and for those of you who are Raiders fans after last night's not loss, I'm sorry, I'm also a Dolphins fan. So, um, but I try not to find too much to delight when those who I don't like in sports lose. But in a more serious note, friends, think about those in your life who kind of pitted themselves against you. Those who don't see eye to eye with you. Those who maybe even are arrogantly attacking you. Do you rejoice today if you saw them fall? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, I, I read the news of, of some guess, really popular pastor back in New York City who fell into sin. Some people responded and they dismissed it. Said, oh, well, that's to be expected with that guy. But ultimately, when we see somebody fall into the judgment upon their sin, that should grieve us. It wasn't grieving Edom when they saw their, their, their the Judah fall into the judgment upon their sin. It should have grieved them, but it didn't. And because it didn't grieve them, God promises in verse 4, He says, Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. God promises that because they're responding in such an arrogant and sinful and prideful way to the judgment that He's bringing upon Judah, he says, because you're responding in that way, I am going to bring you down. God here is directly confronting that attitude of the heart. He's confronting Edom's arrogant pride in response to Judah's judgment. Edom, they're there. They're thinking that they are untouchable. They're like an eagle, a soaring eagle, but their arrogance has blinded them. Their arrogance has deceived them. We see in verse 2 and we see in verse 9 that rather than allowing Edom's arrogance to go unchecked, God says He is personally going to send enemies to make them small. God was going to bring them down. There is nothing that could stop His judgment on their unrepentant sin. The Edomites, they thought that they were naturally protected from invasion. They thought that because of their physical and geographical barriers of the mountains around their homeland, they thought that they were good. But in verses 3 and 4, you see that they, while they were in their elevated strongholds, God would bring them down for their sinful arrogance. And in verses 6 and 7, you, you, you see that, that the, even their allies, that at God's prompting, the nations that they have made treaties with, that they have become allied with, Edom, they are going to turn against Edom. They're going to pillage them. Verses 8 and 9, these wise and these so-called strong are going to fall. They're unable to stand before the ultimate all-wise and all-powerful God. There they are, thinking they're wise and they're powerful in their mountain strongholds, and yet before the all-wise and all-powerful God, He will bring them low. He will humble them. Friends, God hates arrogance. God detests pride. Proverbs 8, verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. You can't get stronger language than how that proverb puts it. God hates arrogance. 
He hates pride. He hates it in the way that he hates idolatry because arrogance is idolatry. Pride and arrogance is self-worship. When you are a prideful person, when you are an arrogant person, what you're doing is you are worshiping yourself over worshiping the one true God. Brothers and sisters, friends who are here today, where are those areas of pride and arrogance in your life? Do you rejoice when others fall? Do you rejoice when others stumble? Do you rejoice when your co-workers don't succeed? Do you look upon others and think to yourself, I'm so glad I'm not like them. Friends, how might you be acting like these arrogant and prideful Edomites? God says, because you are prideful, because you think that you're strong and wise, because you're rejoicing at the destruction of those around you, I will humble you. As we go on in verses 10 and following, we see how we should respond. How we respond to those who are in distress. The Lord remembered how Edom had failed to help Judah. Look with me at verse 10. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. And you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. Do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. In other words, what Edom was doing there is that when Judah fell, Edom, they're rejoicing, they're gloating, they're mocking, and what else are they doing? They're standing back. They're letting it all take place. They're, they're even pillaging and plundering and looting them as well. They're delighting in the downfall of another. They're mocking and gloating. But friends, those responses to judgment... Those responses of mocking and gloating those who are receiving judgment upon their sin, all that does, all that response does is merely compound sin. Such arrogance does not glorify God. And God is showing us here that He wants nothing to do with such sinful attitudes. You know, you see this often in politics, right? Where one, one side wins an election, the other side gloats, and the other side uh, doesn't. I mean, how petty that is, right? So we can respond arrogantly, like the Edomites here, or we can respond humbly. What's the way that pleases the Lord here? How are we to respond to judgment from these verses? How should we respond to somebody who falls into sin? Well, you can be like arrogant Edom. Or you can respond humbly and realize that if it were not for God's grace in your life, you would be in no different place. Instead of arrogance, we can respond humbly when we hear of the fall 
of another. Friends, God's judgment should humble us. Humble us because we realize that that's what we deserve, right? That's what we, when we confess that that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we're confessing that we are not good enough on our own, that that, that we deserve destruction, that, that our sins deserve to be punished, that we don't deserve life. That's why grace is so amazing, because we don't deserve it. God's judgment should humble us. Whether we experience it directly in our own lives or whether we witness it, judgment upon sin is meant to humble us. I I remember uh, in my seminary days, I remember one of our professors preaching at chapel and he told the story of how one of his, his pastors fell into sin and had to get up in front of the church and confess his sin to the church. And he said that, that, that changed him. He remembered that, that impressed upon his mind because he didn't want to be like that man. And that's how we should respond to judgment. And that's how we should respond to those who fall into sin is we realize that, 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 that we could just as easily fall into sin like that person. Judgment should humble us. But friends, why do you think we're so prone to gloat? Why do you think we're so prone to gloat over the downfall of our enemies? Why do you think we're so prone to respond in that way? Well, often we think we don't deserve judgment, right? That's likely what Edom thought here. They showed no compassion to Judah. They ignored the distress of the people around them. They even stole the refugees' possessions. You see that in verse 13 as well. They looted. So instead of... Edom repenting of their sin, their pride only increased. And today, many delight in the downfall of others. Many callously turn a blind eye to the plight and the distress of others who suffer from the effects of sin. But God is showing us here that He does not ignore these sins any more than He ignored the sins of Edom. The the sins of arrogance here led to their destruction led to God's judgment falling upon them. He would not ignore the sins of Edom. God is saying, I'm not going to ignore your sin of arrogance or your attempt at ignorance. So God says, I will cut you down. I will bring you low. But even in the midst of all of this promise of judgment, it's heavy, right? It's weighty. God is saying, I'm going to bring you low. I'm going to bring judgment upon your sin. The book doesn't end there. God says He's going to judge the nations. But there's also this promise that His day is near that's going to bring judgment upon unrepentant sin, but also is going to bring deliverance. So God is going to judge the nations. And he's also going to deliver his people in the day of the Lord. Look with me at verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. Mount Zion is Jerusalem. 
And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. In other words, God is bringing judgment upon unrepentance, but his people will be in Mount Zion, and it shall be holy. Friends, these verses describe the judgment that's coming upon sin, but it also gives a hope of deliverance. There is this promise of deliverance and compassion from the Lord. The book of Obadiah is full of warnings coming, of God's judgment coming upon sin. We see that all throughout these verses. You see that in verse, verse 18, right? But there is also this promise as this book concludes. There is a promise of God's deliverance and God's compassion. Look with me at verse 19. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau. Those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of, the Jerus- of Jerusalem who are in the Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. In other words, those, those, those markers there, those, those geographical markers are, are the, the, the nation that God has given them, the promised land that he had promised to his people all the way back in Exodus, all the way back to, to Abraham in Genesis. There is a promise here of salvation in the midst of judgment, of God's compassion in the midst of his judgment. But friends, also notice this. We see that God is warning here. He's warning here of coming judgment. But there's also that promise of compassion here. In His warning, God is giving them an opportunity to turn away from their sin before it's too late. When you read through these prophets, these, the, the book of the prophets in the Old Testament, maybe you ask the question of, well, why is God punishing these people? We know ultimately because, just like Edom here, they're not repenting of their sin, right? These messages of warning and judgment are meant to be a message for them to respond to. God is warning. He's saying, I am bringing judgment. He's warning them. He's saying, if you do not repent of your sins, then judgment will fall upon you. You will be judged. That message of warning and that message of coming judgment is also a message of compassion. Do you see that? Do you understand that? What he's doing is he's warning them. He's saying, turn, right? Turn from your sins and turn to me. Forsake your arrogant and prideful and sinful ways. All of these messages of judgment also include in them a message of God's compassion, a call to turn. But they did not. God was warning Edom and the nations here, and He's still warning us today of the consequences of sin because He didn't want them to be condemned in their sins. In other words, what He's doing here is He is giving them an opportunity to turn away from their sins before it's too late. And you know what? Some actually did. There was a a remnant of Edom a remnant of Edom and of the nations will indeed have taken this opportunity and be counted among the people of God and bear His name. If you turn just to the left in your Bibles, 
or scroll up on your screens to Amos chapter 9, you'll see that there is this remnant of Edom that actually heeded God's judgment here, God's warning here. Amos chapter 9, verse 11. In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Verse 12. That they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by by my name declares the Lord who does this. See that? In Amos 9, verses 11 and 12, we see that there was a remnant that actually heeded God's warning upon their nation. And they will be counted among the people of God for all eternity. So we see that that even in the midst of this great judgment that God is pronouncing upon the nation of Edom, these last verses are still steeped in hope. Hope, because ultimately we know that today, the Savior who went up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau... The kingdom shall be the Lord's. We know who that is, right? We have hope because of the gospel, because of the Messiah who was promised here. In the midst of judgment, God would send a deliverer. And this message of hope and salvation in the midst of judgment finds its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the great ruler, the great deliverer of His people past, present, and future. Jesus is the Lord to whom all of these kingdoms belong. He is the one to whom this kingdom that's promised here at the end of Obadiah belongs. Jesus will bring about the final restoration of His people even beyond the promised land. Friends, all of creation will be made new and we will dwell with King Jesus forever. You know, sometimes as you read through these prophets, it's hard to find hope. I know some of you have told me you're reading through the Old Testament and you get bogged down at certain parts. Well, guess what? You're not alone. (laughs) It's difficult, right? Judgment upon judgment. Unrepentance upon unrepentance. Judgment's going to fall upon you. You're going to be destroyed. This foreign army is going to come in and destroy you. This foreign army is going to come in and take your best and brightest away. Sometimes it's hard to find hope in the midst of these prophets. But Obadiah, as we see here, provides hope in the midst of judgment. Obadiah offers this good news of a Savior. Of the Savior who's going to go up to Mount Zion and the kingdom shall be His. Shall be the Lord's. So friends, no matter whatever situation you find yourself in today. First of all, if you were oppressing others, know that God's judgment is going to fall upon that sin. So heed God's warning here. Edom was oppressing Judah. Judgment fell upon their sins. If you are being oppressed, know that God's judgment will fall upon the oppressors. So we can have hope because of the certainty of God's judgment upon evil. But we can also have hope because of this promise here. This promise that God has made a way of deliverance. The kingdom of the Lord has come. And that's what we celebrated that Christmas, right? The inbreaking of God's, God's kingdom into the world. So in Christ, brother and sisters, we need not fear that God's judgment will cut us down like He did to Edom. Because Jesus has paid it all. And He stood in our place. 
So we need not fear that God is indifferent to the sins of arrogant oppressors. And friends, because Jesus has been raised from the dead and he has all authority in heaven and on earth, we can know for certain that God will not leave any wrongdoing unpunished. So he is warning here today, friends. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today. He has taken this punishment for us. He has taken your judgment upon himself. So trust in him as your only hope for salvation. And heed the warning here in the book of Obadiah. That the proud will fall and the humble will be restored. You say, well, I look around me and it doesn't look like this has happened. Well, it will. And we know it will. Because Jesus conquered sin and death. So friends, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of the sin-cursed world we live in now, we wait, we pray, we serve, and we declare the good news that hope and salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. We rejoice in having received His mercy upon us, and as we do, we seek to show His compassion and His concern upon Friends, because we have received the grace of God and His mercy by faith, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are to have compassion on others. We're to be concerned for the oppressed and the distressed in our culture as we seek to share the gospel with them. So friends, hear the warning of God's judgment upon sin. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ, the Deliverer who is to come. And at the same time, Have compassion upon those around you. Let us pray. Father, we come before you. We realize that if it were not for your grace in our lives, we would have no hope. That if you just left us in our sin... Father, we would have no hope. But we know, God, that you have promised in your word to bring judgment upon evildoers. And so in that warning of judgment, may we hear it, may we heed it, and may we respond and repent of our sins. Knowing that Jesus took our judgment upon himself at the cross. And Lord, we also find hope in knowing that you will one day fully and finally bring judgment upon all sin. All unrepentant sin will be dealt with. So Lord, in the midst of that waiting, may we serve you faithfully and may we declare your good news of life in Jesus Christ. May we declare that here and to the ends of the earth. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.